When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Andrew Doyle, who is an author and a cultural critic and an anchor at the GBN News Channel that can be found online and I presume streamed offline too. I don't know though. But Anyway, so he wrote a book called New Puritans that is debuting or coming out on the 8th of September and the 14th of September. The 8th is in Great Britain and the 14th is in the United States of America. It is a book exploring in detail the social justice ideology or critical social justice or wokeness or whatever you want to call it. He has a long track record of investigating that and commenting and criticizing that. And this book takes all of that which he learned and concretizes it and uh, distills it into a very powerful volume that I took some issue with and had him on my channel to get my issues off my chest. We have a great conversation. This is our fourth time speaking. Great fellow. Wonderful to have him on. Um, I think that's enough of me talking. I'm going to get out of the way. Here is Andrew Doyle. So but tell me when you want to start and I will uh, yeah, get my start. game face on. Oh, oh. really? Okay. Are you going to, you need some eyeshadow, <laughs> a little bit Actually, Bowie? Well, someone said to me, my eyes are very sunk into my head. And so I should wear makeup under the eyes. Oh. And this came from a, a woman at work. I now have a job. Uh, um, uh, d- the media job where you talk yeah. on, a, on a camera. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I thought I'd, I'd take that seriously because she knows what she's talking about. But I haven't put any on now. Um, but I can, if you no, think I should. No, no, the lighting's excellent. We can't even, we can't, we can't see. You can't this. see how deep set my eyes are. How, how sunken your features are. Sunken yeah. and <laughs> gaunt. Monstrous. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. All right. Ask away, Benjamin. Okay. Um, I didn't get to see the cover of your book, The New oh. Puritans. Do, do you have it? So I can see it. How you guys in. Oh, okay. There we go. Cool. All right. Red. And That's black. how it looks. All right. Yeah. Good. It's pretty hard-hitting um and pretty good it one little anecdote i went to this place called the evergreen state college which in 2017 experienced its own kind of uh salem witch trials yeah Uh, i saw the footage yeah you saw the footage and uh it the parallels are pretty uh uh, pretty uh pretty clear especially yeah. how you reframe what uh you call the new puritanism and uh critical social justice anyway so i was there in 2015 i almost mm. took a course called the new puritans but um some some things happened and i could only uh do independent work while they studied uh milton and and that era and also yes. uh the two professors who designed that course were speaking about this new puritanism that they saw on the rise. Which, even then, even even on the Evergreen Campus. Yeah, on twenty fifteen. It was really interesting. And both of those professors ended up, you know, going along with uh the the new Puritanism in the end. Well, that's it, interesting, it, isn't it? it? That they themselves, even though they were well versed in it historically, couldn't had to succumb. No, they had to put the uh, BLM poster up and uh, yeah. write write the little uh, denunciations of Brett Weinstein yeah. when when he uh 
proved himself to be a witch. That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. Well, as you know, I mean, I've started and ended the book with Salem. I just think Salem is is such a fascinating uh, period. I mean, I used to teach The Crucible, the Arthur Miller play, which mm. is obviously the dramatization of what happened in Salem. And um, I think one of the reasons it's so fascinating, though, is that it was such a short-lived thing. It was only a year towards the end of the 17th century. It sort of, it came and went, and it was not typical of these people. The Puritans weren't witch hunters. That, that They just, this wasn't something they did. And everyone afterwards said, they got it wrong right so this was a, a a moment where this community gets caught up in this major hysteria and they all believe it they all believe that the girls are seeing witches everywhere and that people are possessed and but but what's most interesting and most relevant i think to what we're going through is that there were obviously people within that community who were skeptical who didn't believe in the girls testimonies and everyone who made that clear was themselves accused so in order to you know people like rebecca nurse who was hanged wasn't prepared to say that she was in league with the devil and she, you know and those who did confess tended not to be executed because the puritans were into mercy mercy was one of their things so the judges were incredibly lenient um so we can be fairly sure that the ones that were hanged were uh, very devout uh, christians um but i think what's really interesting is is the the people who knew and and went along with it that sort of because one of the reasons why arthur miller said he wrote the crucible is because he was terrified by the conformity the people who kept silent for self-preservation and that i think is what's going on now you know people won't speak out about what's going on about this new ideology uh, because they see that whenever anyone prominent on twitter says that you know there are two sexes they get absolutely obliterated and, and you can you can lose your job for standing up to this stuff and you can you can have your reputation trash so so many people i think most people can see it's hysterical but they won't they won't speak out. It's and I think that's why it's a good parallel. Yeah, we we both been uh, looking at this for I guess for me probably eight or nine years because I was at Evergreen, yeah. so I was I was watching it uh, rise. But um, it seems like kind of old hat stuff to me. You wrote this to the general audience, and and it's yeah. a good marker to kind of give people uh, a little bit more footing to stand on because, like you say, a lot of people aren't speaking up maybe because they don't have uh, they don't have uh, certainty that. Yeah, they can survive, get through it. Um, but do you, do you think it's going to perpetuate? Do you think it's just going to go on and on and on and on? Because it doesn't seem well, inherently stable. Well, part of the problem is, I mean, you and I are both so familiar with this stuff. Yeah. And we've been living and breathing it for all these years. Most people aren't familiar with what's going on. They don't understand. And they're confused because this there's this thing called the woke movement, whatever we want to call it. I call it the critical social justice ideology. <laughs> but various people have various names for it. But they see that it's various branches you know whether and all of their various branches are to do with race gender or sexuality identity and they can see that these people are using progressive language they talk about social justice they talk about anti-racism they talk about equity and so people think okay that's great well i'm i'm against racism i'm for equality i'm i'm for justice so so we'll cheer them on and and what they don't realize is all of that language is completely misleading it's progressive sounding terms to mask regressive ideas as you know all too well and so i think people are coerced into going along with a movement that it, it operates in opposition to their interests hmm. um so that's what the, that's why i wrote the book because i think it's really important to make this accessible to people who haven't thought about it all that much hmm. um things have changed so much since we last spoke though i mean because i think we spoke during the pandemic and did we speak before or after the george floyd event i can't oh, remember man. 
it, because I think I, it was I before then. I think it might have I, been before. And I think since then, you know, be, when we first spoke and I raised issues about this, many people would say that I was exaggerating that it's just a problem of a few overzealous students on campus, all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But now evidence of what I've been saying is everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere. And so this, it feels a good time to write this book now because no one's going to say, well, you're just imagining this. This is a false fabricated culture war. It's like, no, like you can see all of this is happening. And more and more people are being told to add pronouns to their emails at work yeah. or to announce their pronouns in meetings at work. And although that seems like a small trivial thing, it's not. It's a declaration of fealty to this new religion. Um, and we wouldn't tolerate it if you had to proclaim your faith in Christ before the start of every meeting. So um, th th this stuff is now evident. The extent to which it is damaging our society, making us more divided, making society more racist, more homophobic, all of the things that it purports to heal. Yeah. It's all becoming clear. The evidence is in. I've given so many examples in the book and sourced yes. them all so people can check, check it. I mean, that's the point. It's like, if you don't know what's going on, and hopefully if you read the book, you'll know what, what's happening and also how to push back against it. Mm. Um, and I think maybe what the major way, this is one of the reasons I talk about Salem is because I'm trying to make it comprehensible. And I think everyone can understand looking at what happened in Salem, that there was a period where there was a mass hysteria, people died, there were serious consequences, but it was perpetuated by the elites. If at any point the magistrates and the ministers had said to the girls, no, you're not telling the truth, this is not real. Uh, but instead they said, what you're saying must be true because you're experiencing it. This is your lived experience. Now, they didn't use the phrase. They used the phrase spectral evidence, but it maps <laughs> on exactly to what we call lived experience today, which is, you know, it's my truth and therefore it's true. And I don't need any other evidence other than my perception. And that's it's the same thing. It's just happened again. Um, now, of course, we're not at risk of being hanged if we don't accept someone else's lived experience. But we are we can be fired. We can lose basically everything um so the stakes are still pretty high um but like i say the elites i mean and and today it's the people in power it's the people in the major institutions the corporate institutions political institutions media class mm -hmm. managerial class the nhs the army the police all of these people are dominated by this ideology and they're the ones saying yes the witches are real and you've got to go along you've got to say the language we want you to say you've got to do the things we want you to do so the parallels are clear but one thing, I don't know, I mean, you've studied Salem, you know what happened. I've read a lot about Salem in order to write this book. And the more I read about it, what I hadn't realised before is how clear it is that so many of the elites didn't believe it. They, they, There were so many examples where the girls would cry witch on someone, a prominent dignitary, someone in the community who mattered. And the minister would say, no, you're mistaken. That can't be, no, you're mistaken about that. Move on to the next thing. There was even one moment where one of the girls pulled out a little shard of a knife, a, a broken off bit, a bit of a blade and she, with some blood. And she said, oh, I've just been, that witch has just sent out her spirit and stabbed me with this. And she held up this blade. And a man who was in the courtroom said, that came off my knife yesterday and you were there. You picked it up. So, and the magistrate just said, let's move on then. Rather than saying, well, that's evidence that the girl is lying. They just said, let's move on. Okay. So... That's really interesting, I think. And I think it will take, you know, in this country, we have a situation where our major politicians, if they're ever asked, what is a woman? They don't know what to do. And you can see the fear in their eyes and they start saying, oh, well, it's complicated and, oh, you know, and stammering and, you know, but if they just had the bravery to say, 
a woman is an adult human female, then maybe maybe things will be okay. But it's a it's a top down problem, isn't it? When the elites go along with it, it's well, hard to battle. One wonders if in Salem and in modern day uh, West, the elites who are going along with it are going along with it because it is expedient somehow. It it does allow them to operate. Um, well, I mean, it's a, it's a, yeah, I mean, it's a good way to maintain the status quo, isn't it? It, it is a good way to show that you're doing something virtuous um, without really doing all that much. You just put a, a Black Lives Matter symbol on your Twitter or a, a rainbow flag on your email or whatever and, and job done. You're, you're on the right side of history all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, maybe it is to do with that. I, I mean, look, <clears throat> I don't like speculating about people's motives, um, but I do think the way out of this will be people need to be braver and people need to stand up and it'll be like Salem. You know, there was a tipping point where too many people were saying, we don't believe the girls anymore. And then it just stopped. I mean, it pretty much stopped overnight, you know, so that, yeah. that could be our way out. We just need to stand up against it. The question then being are liberal values themselves strong enough. Uh, do they not lead to this? They've got an, an inherent weakness, haven't they? Because yeah. if you are a liberal, then you're very tolerant uh, by nature and you are open to dissent and you believe in the marketplace of ideas and and they don't believe in any of those things. They believe in censorship and shutting people down. So they have uh, the advantage of ruthlessness. Um, so, yeah, but I don't think there's a better system. And I think I think all of the progress that's been made since the civil rights luminaries of the 1960s, all of that has come about through the liberal project. And if we jettison that, heaven knows where we'll end up but it won't be pretty well it, it, there's just there there is a contradiction or a tension that runs through your book where mm. y you're you're looking at this movement this illiberal movement this woke movement and they are deriding you as a liberal but there's just this subtle derision of the right or the conservative or or the uh, what in my book uh, yeah just a subtle bit where conservative is um construed as nostalgic for the past or in one, one part you said no enlightened individual would suggest that racism homophobia and sexism should not be tackled yes so so just that's not a dig at conservatives because i think well, i think that's a, that's a view that conservatives would agree with well it's a question should racism homophobia and sexism be constantly tackled should we be obsessing about that should we be rooting that out is that no. not what the woke are doing to always be no, tackling no, no. these these problems two things so one thing is i don't say that conservatism is a nostalgia nostalgia for the past i, I say the opposite i say conservatism is misconstrued as that okay um but in terms of the uh, this question of should we be tackling it, yeah. yes, we should be tackling it when it arises, <laughs> right? Not searching for it in order to tackle it, right? So it's the difference between okay. uh, a police force that solves crimes when people report crimes or a police force that trawls for victims, as our police force often does. And they tweet mm. out saying, if you've been the subject of a hate crime, contact us now, please. And because no one knows what a hate crime means, suddenly they get all these phone calls from people and suddenly the hate crime stats go up and everyone screams about how hate crime is on the rise when it absolutely isn't. So, um, no, I think that's, I think the liberal project would say, I mean, come on, Ben, if you saw someone screaming racist slurs at a, a person on the street, you would say something about it. You would stand up and say, that's not right. Okay. But there's, and that's, that's, a, a, that's the right approach I feel. Uh, but what you're not going to do is, 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 assume that racism underpins every single human interaction and try and 
rooted out through these philosophical theor theoretical means, which is what the woke do. So it's very it's I don't think it's anti-conservative to say that we should stand up against injustice where as and when we see it. OK. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed so you don't have to download the new Bumble now. All right. It's just, I, I just want to understand what liberal values are then. And, and it's, if, it's, if there's um, a tension between that and conservative values or. Well, you see, you find it difficult because you're American. Yeah. And yeah. so in, in America, liberal means something very different. I think you use liberal as a synonym for left wing often. Mm, no, I, I understand. But le, le, I, I would just like to map it out. I, I understand yeah. the philosophical underpinnings of liberalism, but I want to I want to understand what you think those are. They aren't explicitly well, in, uh, explicitly in, in the book. Yeah, it's to do with freedom. It's to do with freedom of speech, freedom of the of the press, freedom to assemble, individual autonomy, the, the standard liberal values that that have sustained our societies. Uh, for years that, you know, human rights, basic human rights is that, you know, that you're allowed to live your life so long as it doesn't encroach on the rights of others. They, they, this is the liberal system. That, that's that's an absence of a system, though. That's uh, to each his own. Can, can a society be cohesive if everybody's just doing their own thing and there's no... Uh... Yeah, it'll never be perfect, will it? But you'll always get conflicts and you'll always get difficulties. And, and yeah. you know, one of the one of the flaws that the woke make is that they assume because we haven't reached uh, the desired utopia because yeah. there is still, you know, prob there are still problems inside. That means liberalism has failed, but liberalism never claims to have uh, to be, be able to have a perfect society because we are imperfectible creatures. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, I don't think it's the, I don't think it's a system at all. It's, it's, a uh, it's principles, isn't it? It's not an ideology. It's, what? it's, it's, a, it's, I mean, you could put it down to just basic human consideration and empathy, couldn't you? <laughs> I think it's uh, it's just living your life as a decent human being. I don't consider that an ideological stance. Well, there has to be an ideology that uh, imprints that decency in in a population. There has to be some sort of moral code. You give voice sure, to sure. it, and 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 uh, how you how you propose uh, political correctness could be a good thing, where there's a consensus, yeah. not a mob, but still crowdsourcing a morality. There has to be liberalism. Yeah came out of Christianity. It was fostered within Christianity and operated by people who had assumed the moral, uh, the moral truths uh, yeah. or assumed as true the moral uh, effects of, of Christian doctrine. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I'm not a cultural relativist. Uh, and I do think certain ethical systems are better than other ethical systems. I do know that yeah. ethics change over time, depending on cultures and depending on time frame that's absolutely true but i think uh some cultures are better than others and i think the uh the culture that believes in uh, empathy forgiveness mercy compassion um uh supporting each other rather than hurting each other that these are good positive values okay and you, we can debate all day long about where these things derive whether they are innate whether they come from the judeo-christian tradition whatever um, but those are the, 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 the ways in which we socialize our children. And that's, and I see that as being a good thing. And what do we want to replace it with? You know, th this, uh, 
this sort of mass detective work that the woke want us to do yeah. where cer certain certain people the clergy let's call them are uniquely placed to be able to detect the sinners and the sins which are hidden in these power structures and networks that no one else can see and we just have to take them on trust mm. um i don't think that's good i don't think i don't think dividing us up into our various uh, demographic groups and, and racial segregation. I don't think that's a good thing. Uh, the end point of woke philosophy is racial segregation. And I think that's bad. <laughs> right? So, um, and I don't think, I don't think really many people would disagree with me on that. I don't think you would. I don't, but I don't see how the woke aren't uh, operating within the same moral framework, just turned up to 11 of empathy and working, getting, getting along and, and lifting up the marginalized it's just a particularly advanced uh, case of just those values it seems like empathy in and of itself uh, is not uh, enough for an entire society there has no, to be not. excellence and and discrimination of of ability in the very least um yeah of course yeah but that's i mean that that's something you've hit on there is exactly right is that the the intentions are pretty much the same on both sides of this argument Everyone wants a more just society. Everyone wants a society, a more equal society. Everyone wants that. Um, and it's just that their means by which they feel they might achieve that is actually working against their aims. So it's more, it's more a question of method, isn't it? Mm. You, you also appeal to rational argument, and it seems like you can't... when rational debate is no longer needed no, I when know. common I sense know. is so obscured when we're living in upside down world we can't really appeal to that argument well, no, there's a way no there's a way you can uh, i absolutely have struggled with this as well it's about being selective about who you attempt to talk to and engage okay. with yeah. so you know someone who's got an anime avatar on twitter who's screaming abuse at you and says you are worse than hitler and says that they know what's going on in your mind. They can read your private thoughts. What, what's the point? That's like having a conversation with a village idiot. What are you going to achieve there? So I would say just don't talk to that person. Just block that person. Reserve your energies for people who are still capable of, of reasonable discussion. And this is why I think that very useful phrase about describing this movement is the counter-enlightenment. Is that actually those enlightenment values, I mean, if you want to try and find a source for the way in which we approach the world, the values of the enlightenment, the idea of, reason rationality of evidence-led epistemology of you know uh, 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 the primacy of truth those things are pretty good uh, foundations for a co cohesive society uh and this movement one of the reasons why i think the woke movement is such a threat hmm. is that it rejects the notion of truth in favor of different ways of knowing in, in individual truths Doesn't whatever that point is to a, a lack in in purely truth-based epistemology i mean did not the romantic uh period follow the enlightenment weren't people yearning for something more than just epistemology and philosophy and rationalism yeah of course. Yeah. yeah and of course if you it, but but that's, I think that's to mis misunderstand the, the core tenets of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment isn't uh, a movement that rejects the arts or rejects the numinous necessarily or rejects the, 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 the human experience in favour of this kind of mechanical, uh, scientific approach. We're not all robots. Uh, it's completely, you can completely have a compatible situation where you depend upon evidence in order to n advance towards the truth uh, and you can still have great art you can still have uh the the mystery of 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 of, of, of being alive 
of the human condition all of those things can be part of that yeah and uh, i don't i don't see it i don't see them as at all being in conflict well maybe a good example because you are a you studied english you you studied writing you studied art you bring up one of your favorite professors i don't know if you studied under them directly who wrote like two volumes on uh was it john dunn or uh yeah john dunn yeah so that that was robin robbins yeah well i i know he was my supervisor so i worked very closely with him so in in his two volume work on john dunn he followed every single illusion right He, he tried to tease apart every single possible uh, inference in the poems yeah how do we bridge uh, evidence with uh human feeling like and and i wonder because how critical social justice took over was through epistemology was through interpretation hermeneutics actually was through the english departments and then through through the humanities and then it, it yes isn't that weird and, and then and then it spread from humanities to the sciences which is something i don't think anyone saw coming they thought it was any... crazy, crazy people over there. Well, they thought at some point two plus two has to equal four, right? And you can't, <laughs> you can't impose new ways of knowing on that. But apparently, you can. So, uh, if if we go back to that, if if we go back to interpreting the humanities or interpreting mm-hmm. uh, culture, and and rediscovering a uh, hermeneutic or way of interpreting that is better than how critical social justice through postmodernism uh, kind of metastatized into critical social justice, maybe through the arts and humanities and better understanding those, we can find another counter rather than just rational debate, which doesn't seem to work in all cases. Well, it doesn't work with them, but, but exactly. you've got to remember they are such a minority, you know, it, it's, I mean, the, the, the recent study that was undertaken in the UK, and it might be different in America, of course, but the recent study here by the More in Common Initiative found that only 13% of the population could be put into that bracket of, of I suppose, the woke supporters of the critical social justice ideology, um, which means that they're a minority in every single generation. Um, it's just that they tend to occupy positions of power, so they're very, exactly. they're very powerful exactly. minority. But you can circumvent them. Because they are the minority. There are ways of doing that. Um, it's harder when it comes to those, when, when they're occupying so many powerful positions. But, it, it, you know, just because they are not adept or, or capable of r- rational debate doesn't mean that we jettison rat- rational debate. That doesn't yeah, follow. That's fair. That, that's fair, but it doesn't seem like rational debate in and of itself is going to be enough. Even in your book, you, you talk about comedy and you talk about art. Yeah. So how do we get back to a comedy and an art? Um, that would be counter-revolutionary. Well, it comes back to the same thing of being braver. Like, so when creative people just go back to creating the art they want to create and not have it policed by these people. You know, we have, we have a publishing industry where you regularly have sensitivity readers now mm-hmm. monitoring your work. Do you have those in America? Yeah, these, yeah I think we started it. <laughs> we probably did. I mean, we've, we've got most of this stuff from you. Um, and it, that's effectively a censor. It's someone stepping in who has no understanding of what your artistic intention is or, or or what all they can see is, you know, this is why they're so bad, aren't they, at understanding art and poetry and literature and, uh, because they see every uh, form of creative expression as being either uh, a means to uphold privilege or a means to challenge it. That's all they can see, mm-hmm. what, what, you know, whereas, and which means they're not qualified to, to read a book. Or at least to talk about a book. I was speaking it. with a, li- a librarian earlier in Washington State, and they're now selectively uh, culling 
the libraries oh, of offensive material. So uh, in every rung, not only the publishers, but also the libraries are calling it. So, Oh, it's really bad. I mean, there was a, um, there was a, a, a project here at Homerton College, Cambridge, where they were uploading digitized their digital collection of children's books but they were applying warnings to things like little house on the prairie and stuff like this and and when they were asked about it they said it is our role as we would be in dereliction of our duty i might get this wrong but we would be in dereliction of our duty as gatekeepers uh, not to keep harmful content from people you know but they use the, the word gatekeepers and their job is to be curators not gatekeepers they, they, they don't understand their own job and this is why it's scary you know when after the Salman Rushdie attack the other week, uh, there was a prominent activist and lawyer online in the UK who took, who got very frustrated about it. He, he was going on about how free speech is much more complicated than this. And and actually, when we're talking about Salman Rushdie, we should think about who's, you know, are his books upholding privilege? Where are the where does the power lie? How are you using your platform? That's all he can do. He can he can look at a book like the Satanic Verses, a fantastic piece of work, and all he can see is power structures that's i mean so he's not really reading the book you know mm. um and that now is an attitude shared by prominent academics within english literature in higher education so now the people who are ostensibly the most qualified to tell us about literature and talk about literature are actually the least qualified to do so so that's a problem <laughs> well it goes back to what you said and uh in earlier in your book you, you say that you, you can't tell the difference between uh a 12 year old whose phone privileges should be taken away and a sociology professor even it, people with a phd in their title are acting like anime avatars too they really are aren't they yeah. have you had that i i mean i've always been Sometimes I've been really surprised. I've I've had, you know, I mean, I get a lot of abuse online. Sometimes there's a really vicious one, really sort of truculent and childish. And I think, oh, and I click on it and it's like professor of something at Stanford. And you're like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's really dispiriting, that kind of thing. You know, how did the how did the children get given these positions of power? It's odd. You know, I mean, that's what happens when I suppose academics start to prioritize activism, I guess. Yeah. Well, and there, a lot of people are talking about alternative institutions. It, it seems like your um, yeah, the yeah. network that you work for is kind of a an instance of an alternative institution. Would you guys? Uh, well, yeah. Well, I've started working for GB News, and I have a show uh, called Free Speech Nation on a Sunday, and I also host a show midweek called Headliners, which is a where we go through the next day's papers. Um, and the reaction to even the fact that a new broadcaster was being set up. The reaction online was insane. There were these activists four months before we'd aired anything. And they started talking about, oh, GB News, they're setting this far right echo chamber channel and this should be shut down. And they were bombarding advertisers with threats, you know, what they, you know, that you shouldn't get involved in this or we're going to expose you. And, and they just imagined it, it was a kind of hysteria. They just imagined what this channel was. And then when it came on and it wasn't what they thought it was going to be, they still doubled down and and, and they still talk about it as being a far-right echo chamber. Mm -hmm. Whereas the, the channel has all sorts of opinions. It has people from the left, from the right. You hear everything. And the thing is, they don't like that. They don't like hearing all the views. I mean, ours, as far as I'm aware, is the only channel, only news channel that seriously tackles the issue of gender identity ideology. And I, on my show, go out of my way to get voices from all sides of that debate. It's hard, of course, to get 
uh, the, the gender ideologues to appear on because we go back to that thing. They don't want to debate. They don't have you, have debate. you had success and, and gotten somebody a couple. on? Yeah. Just a couple. I mean, I had one really interesting debate between two trans people who had completely different views on the, on the subject. And that was interesting. Who? Um, who were they? But then I got a lot of anger from feminists about that because, because men, obviously, these obviously. Two, because they're both, because there's no biological women there. It's like, well, so you can never really win. Um, but all you can do is week on, week out, try and get as many different voices on as, as, as possible. And, um, but th- yeah, we, we are able to have those conversations and the mainstream commentariat hate that. They hate <laughs> the fact that we're doing it. They hate the fact that I will get uh, a feminist on like Helen Joyce or Judy Bindle or whoever um, to talk about these issues openly and honestly, because the BBC aren't doing it. Sky News aren't doing it. That, you know, they, they, because they bought, because they are ideologically captured. So, but yeah, the reaction is, is utterly unhinged. And I think this will be something that happens continually. You know, whenever we try and set up a, a, a new institution or a new platform to push back against this, uh, they're going to freak out. They, 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 they do believe that certain opinions are harmful and therefore they must be aired. I mean, what was that thing today? Did you see on Twitter the um, podcasting event? Did you see this? No, what happened? Okay, let me see if I can check this out. So, because I tweeted about it. So basically there was, here we go, podcast movement at, what's it called? Oh, they blocked me. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Always be screenshotting. <laughs> I did screenshot actually, so that's fine. Let's have a look at this. Uh, if you've got the time, um, I'll show you what they said. Okay. Hi. So this is podcast movement at PM 22. So this is a big podcast event where they have lots of um, booths, you know, with various podcasters. It says, hi, folks, we owe you an apology before sessions kick off for the day. Yesterday afternoon, Ben Shapiro briefly visited the PM 22 Expo area near the Daily Wire booth. Though he was not registered or expected, we take full responsibility for the harm done by his presence. And then there's a big thread about how if, if we if we hear... If anyone even catches a glimpse of Ben Shapiro, they will be literally erased. I can't believe they've blocked me. That's insane. I've ju- I, I mean, I literally just checked now and they've blocked me. Why? What's going on? Unless they've, unless they've protected their tweets. Is that possible? It, it, it'll say that, that you're blocked if you're blocked, if you, if you click on it. It says you are unable to view this tweet because the account owner limits who can view their Yeah, you're probably tweets. blocked, yeah. But that doesn't make any sense. I didn't comment on it. You just retweeted. I, oh no, tweets are protected. Oh okay. Yeah. But they're getting a lot of flack. No, I I, I quote tweeted them as Titania. Uh, they're getting a lot of flack, so they've protected their tweets. But look, that's an organisation. It's got sixty four thousand followers. This is it's it's running these podcast booths. They agreed to let the Daily Wire have a booth because why not? They're a big podcast as well. And now they're apologising because Ben Shapiro showed up. I mean, it's nuts, isn't it? The very idea that someone yeah. should come along with a conservative point of view. So, what is the matter with them? We uh, we decry cancel culture because it's been used as a weapon to shut up diverse voices, but the mob tactic works the other way around too. And uh, you've been able to stir up uh, a large amount of people to go after uh, because you have a large a follower base, and then you show them something particularly ridiculous from your point of view, and then they go yeah. and they they dogpile. What, what do you think about that? Is there a uh, moral uh, question? I just, <laughs> no, I've just I've just quoted 
quote tweeted a, a a company but podcast movement whatever it is i don't even know what it is but it's obviously a big company it's not an individual it's not like i've i've got everyone on titania's account to go after some some <laughs> some guy you know with like 12 followers like i haven't done that yeah <laughs> i don't think it's fair that when when public bodies uh make such an illiberal statement that they should be critiqued for that i mean yeah. is that not well, Completely no, I, I just I just wonder to what extent we can uh, we can decry cancel culture or dogpiles if that's just kind of the the way that things work, right? It seems Crit- like criticism is criticism isn't the same as cancel culture. Okay, could you could you tease if, that out a little bit? Then? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, cr- a cancel culture is a uh, method or a system of public humiliation and retribution uh, against someone, typically for a very minor slight. So it's wildly disproportionate. And it's when you you attempt to see someone basically unpersoned. Normally you target their employer, try and get them to lose their job. You libel them. You trash their reputation. You tell lies about them so that no one will want to associate with them. That's what cancel culture means. Uh, It's not criticizing someone for what they say. Um, Because without that, we don't have the marketplace of ideas. And it's a weird thing. It's like with J.K. Rowling in a... The people who claim that cancel culture is a myth, they often say, well, all that's happening with J.K. Rowling is we're holding the powerful to account. You're allowed to criticize J.K. Rowling. She's one of the richest women in the world. Like, It's not cancel culture to criticize what she says and to disagree with what she says, even in robust and vehement ways. But when you are routinely sending death threats and rape threats and lying about her and defaming her online uh, and contacting a publisher and trying to get them to drop her as though they ever would, um, then that's a different thing. J.K. Rowling is so successful, she can't be cancelled. Mm. So it's not going to work anyway. But someone like Gillian Phillip, who was a, a children's author in, in the UK, who simply tweeted in support of J.K. Rowling, was dropped by her publisher and agent, and she had to retrain as a truck driver. And she's now said that the haulage industry is much less misogynistic than the world of children's literature. Oh. So good for her. Did, did, so You mean a, a lorry? Yeah, yeah, you know. I just want to they, be inclusive of the British term. Oh, I see. Lorry is a word you don't use. No. I see. Okay. Yeah. Use truck. You, you say it in this patronizing way. You think it's funny, <laughs> don't you? You think it's cute. I think, uh, yeah, you guys have a lot of like, cute, cute isms out there. You still have princes and princesses roaming the countryside doing do. weird, weird things with their bodies. Yeah. 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 Doing stuff like that. So does so, that, is that... Do you think that's a fair distinction that I've drawn? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just bringing uh, bringing up the fact that we are in a new era of mobs. I mean, just the the snowball oh, yeah, effect with, with things. So, well, I kind of feel like you know, yeah, you do have to if you've got a lot of followers on Twitter, you know, and someone, and you're picking on someone and bullying them and attacking them. I think that there is there's, there's something quite. You're free to do it, but there is something mm-hmm. rather unpleasant about that. I always treat it like hecklers in a comedy club, like. Yeah. If I'm on stage in a comedy club, I won't just pick on someone on the front row and say, hey, look at you, you're ridiculous, like, and make fool- a fool of them uh, and humiliate them. I won't, I won't do that. That's mean. But if someone heckles, then it's sort of open season. Right? <laughs> <laughs> if they go, after, then they, they've invited it. They've asked yeah. for it. So I treat Twitter the same. I'm not going to quote tweet some small account just to try and humiliate and make a fool of someone, no matter how stupid they are. But I will if they've, if they've called me a fascist. Yeah, like because yeah. I sort of think, okay, if you want to say so, if you want to libel me online, then maybe I'll I'll respond. And actually, I feel a kind of obligation to because I think the problem with a lot of this stuff is people don't stand up t- t- for themselves enough. You know, when they're when they're defamed. So, 
I have a very clear, I mean, it's, it's in my mind, it's very clear what the ethics of this is, <laughs> I think. Well, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, I did quote tweet a very small account because they were talking about uh, masculine humor and how you're never supposed to punch down. What, what do you think about the punching up, punching down? You do briefly talk about it in, in your book. Is there a... Yeah ethic it, to that and where does it fall apart because i think that you know if, if we can only ever punch up then everybody can only hit god and only midgets can uh be comedians at that point right so yeah um <laughs> yeah i guess or sorry well, pygmies the, to quote pygmies uh, is, the, is the better phrase um well you don't know people disagree on what is punching up and punching down so so there's that so who's going to clear that mess up um you know with a Charlie Hebdo, of course, they uh, they were always punching up. They were attacking major religious ideology, but people said they were punching down and interpreted them as attacking uh, minority Muslims in France. So, you know, where it depends on your perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it's, I think it's very relativist. Then, yeah, and, and in comedy, you can punch any which way. Like, it's 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 completely up to you. I mean, I, you know, the the problem I guess I guess is that we all know that the the school bully will always say oh it was just a joke and that's their get out clause you know so you can use humor to bully people and you can use humor to to uh be mean and evade accountability yeah but comedians you know the art form of comedy you have to have that freedom to uh, to extend it in any which way you want um i i mean i don't punch down i i've even in satirical terms, I've only ever gone after the, those who I perceive to have power. Um, okay. Just because it would be sort of against my style, I think, to, to start. And even when comedians mock sensitive targets, they're not really doing, they're not really punching down. You know, someone, someone makes a joke about uh, homeless people, some kind of joke. It doesn't mean the that they're... Scottish, right? Or whatever, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean that they seriously believe what they're saying. This, it's kind of a misunderstanding of what a comedian is and what the comedian does it's like a theatricalized persona isn't it it's not well, and it goes back to the stupidity uh that, that's at the heart of this the the literalism that they take the the, the very narrow way of of uh analyzing any cultural artifact it's either going oh. against or for uh, did privilege. you see um louis ck do you remember when that leaked audio happened where they leaked a part of his set and he was talking about the, the school shootings in america and the independent which is a newspaper in the uk the headline was something like Louis C.K. mocks survivors of school shooting. Mocks. Do, do they really think Louis C.K. is saying, ha, you idiot, you losers. Look at you getting shot. I mean, it's it's so infantile. Of course he wasn't. Of course he wasn't. So but you, you're right. It's that literal minded. Inter but again, it goes back to what I was saying about the arts, just as they can't read a Salman Rushdie novel and possibly comprehend it. They can't listen to a, a joke and comprehend it because they think it's a literal statement of opinions. I've heard people say comedians need to be censored because they, because they're expressing bad opinions on stage. In fact, we just had a comedian cancelled at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Did you hear about this? No, what happened? What did he oh. say? Uh, it's a, a comedian called Jerry Sadowitz, who's one of the most controversial comedians in the UK. Uh, and everyone knows he's one of the most controversial comedians. You go to his shows to be offended. That's part of the fun. Um, and I, you know, had... I, I was looking for his set. I could not find his material right. on YouTube. Never. I've seen him absolutely scream at someone in the audience for trying to film him. It's a, he's scary. So, so uh, J Jerry Sadowitz is a Scottish magician comedian who his whole show, he can scream for over an hour 
about all minority groups and how he hates them all. He'll use racial epithets. He'll, I remember him doing a 10 minute set about how disgusting gay people are and all the vile stuff they get up to. And while he's screaming and spitting all this bile, he's doing these incredible magic tricks, these sleight of hand card tricks. It's an incredible juxtaposition and it's really funny. I've heard him say the most anti-Semitic things you will ever hear. Um, he's Jewish. And, and that should give you a clue as to what he's going doing here. He, it is a, a, a vile, vicious persona that is just brutally hilarious. You ca- he's an equal opportunities offender. Every, he hates everyone and everything. Now, and if you go and he gets his penis out and, he, and he, he's, he's vulgar and disgusting and all the rest of it. And, and it's exhilarating to watch. And if you go to see that, and you're offended, then, then just fuck off, basically. It's so ridiculous. It, he couldn't have more warnings if he tried, right? He even put out a promo video before this Edinburgh run saying, I'm going to be rude, I'm going to get my dick out, I'm going to I'm going to do my fascist stick. Like, all of this stuff. Uh, the, the show was called Not For Anyone. The show that I saw a number of years ago was called Jerry Sadowitz, Comedian, Magician, Psychopath. You, you can't say that he's, he's, he's misleading his audience. <laughs> and yet... So we did two nights, both sold out, massive venue. For after the first night, there were complaints. The Pleasance, which is one of the big venues at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, then shut it down on the seconds and you can't come back. And they put out a statement saying, Jerry Sadowitz's performance doesn't align with our values. They said audience members were made to feel unsafe. They used the word. Uh, they're using all the woke language that we've taken from you lot in America. They were using all of that stuff. Um, and again, they were saying, these, they use the phrase, these kinds of opinions are not acceptable anymore. They're not opinions. They're jokes. They're not even jokes. They're kind of, they're a kind of, as I say, a theatricalized. It's, it, it, there's no point in, in, I mean, I wrote an article about this for Unheard and I made this point about, you know, if you, if you have a go at Jerry, if you're offended by Jerry Sadowitz and try and get him cancelled, that's like being offended by Macbeth's ruthless ambition. It doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. You're being offended at a character. Um, so anyway, so that, that happened. And, and this is an interesting moment though, because whereas we've had comedians have their shows canceled before, there was an act called Roy Chubby Brown, very big in the UK, had his act, uh, his show at Sheffield ditch last year. Didn't seem to bother the comedy community because the comedians don't like him. They think he's an old reactionary. Jerry Sadowitz is respected by all the major comedians. He's really seen as a veteran and really sort of, uh, important comedic figure, uh, figure in the industry. There, there's been a lot of silence from those comedians that I know are very respectful of him. And, um, but this might be a turning point, maybe, um, p- potentially. There's, a, there's another aspect of this, and it kind of mimics or it, it, it rhymes with cancel culture. So I think it was earlier this year, there was this, uh, or maybe it was last year, time has warped for me, uh, called the Family Sex Show at the Royal yeah. Bath. And uh, it was this uh, very uh, sincere uh, desire to teach children how to have sex. And, and they had all this information about um, different sexual acts that you could do. And, and they were really trying to help children to be comfortable with their bodies and let adults show them how to use their bodies and stuff like that. It was very groomy and they got canceled because it came to light. But the same people who would cancel uh, these offensive acts are also promoting things that are on the surface and in the depth, actually trying to corrupt youth. Right. I mean, we talked about this on, on headline as the show I I host sometimes midweek and uh, another, there's another comedian called Leo curse. Who's often on the show. And he made the point that, you know, you take the Jerry Sadowitz situation where because he exposes his penis and because he he screams uh, uh, offensive phrases, 
uh, adults need to be protected from choosing to go and see that show. And yet when it came to the family sex show, we're treating kids like adults. Yeah. So why are we treating the adults like kids and the kids like adults was his fundamental point. And that's exactly right. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I that? mean, isn't that weird? Isn't that odd? It's insane. I, it's, it's one of those. It's one of those things that I actually can't get my head around. You might be able to help me, but I, I don't know why. They think that, it, that it's almost like they're suggesting that having boundaries for small children when it comes to adult sexualities is somehow reactionary and conservative and old fashioned. That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I don't know where they've got that from. I don't know why. I mean, you hear the odd extremist online talking about how, you know, the LGBTQIA plus community should start bringing in maps, you know, minor attractive persons, paedophiles. And you sort of think, look, that's just some insane person online. And there's a couple of academics who have said stuff like that. But how is that caught on? Uh, I, I don't. I I don't understand. Um, you're going to have to help me with that. It's just, maybe it's just a part and parcel of the contradictions inherent in the ideology. If it is a coherent ideology, but the uh, rise of drag queen story hour, for some reason, yeah. that is something that they want us to do. And then well, any sort of movement to protect children is called don't say gay or, or is construed as uh, trying to erase uh, homosexuality from curriculum, right? When it's just saying, no, that we're yeah. not going to teach about you know how to have anal sex when you're uh, a nine or eight year old right 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 well so. these kids aren't the kids they're not sexual you know this is like yeah. I, I well they're I'm, all obsessing I, over it now the uh, fifth graders are now like exchanging their sexualities oh I think I might be demisexual or asexual stuff it's just yeah, it's but they're just the mimicking they're just yeah. mimicking aren't they? that's what kids do you know so yeah. yeah it's really sad I mean the drag queen thing I find utterly bizarre I mean I I you know, I, I like drag shows. I've seen drag shows. I've got friends who are drag queens. And, you know, part of that genre is it's sexually subversive. It pushes things to the edge. I've seen some of the most revolting uh, but and yet exhilarating uh, sexual adult performances from drag queens. Uh, you'd be very upset by them, I'm, I'm sure, Benjamin. But um, I, I would never... really shaking it. right now. Just yeah, I can see it. But I would never bring a child uh, to those shows. And nor would the drag queens involved want want children in those shows. So what I don't understand, I think it's perfectly possible for a drag queen to read a story to children in an entertaining, flamboyant way. Drag queens are good actors and they're, 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 they would be quite good at that, I imagine. But they would have to anesthetize their art form to such a degree, make it completely non-sexual, take out all the things that are really fun <laughs> about the genre and just do this really banal thing. For I, I don't know why they would want to do that. The only thing I can think of is that because I don't think it's helpful saying that all the, all the drag queens doing drag queen story hour are grooming kids. I don't think that's helpful either. Um, I think they, but I don't understand why they, why they would want to do that. Uh, I don't get it. Um, again, maybe you can help me with that. I, I just think it's, and I spoke to a drag queen friend of mine recently about this and, and he said to me, yeah, I just think it's weird. I don't, it's, it's just not something I'd want to do. Mm. It's, it's, it's not artistically interesting. Mm. Uh, to well, sanitize your work in that way okay well either that or or you don't sanitize it and then you're you're pushing oh well if you don't pushing the line right you're, well that yeah and some have haven't they that's the problem i know you see those video clips of some drag queens performing for kids and they clearly haven't sanitized it, and it's just an adult sex show in front of children and that's i can't i think that's unforgivable hmm. you know and i'm not that doesn't make me a reactionary 
he said there, very defensively. Yeah, there, 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 there is a there is a tension though between uh, an adult appreciation of the theatrical and the subversive, and then but still wanting to keep it contained. And it seems like yes. it's it's inside out now. Like we, we have to contain, we have to protect the adults, and we have to uh, normalize the adult behavior Absolutely. for children. Right. I'm with you on this hundred percent. I think. Look, let's just accept that we socialize. The, the, there's a period of socialization in childhood in which you do protect children. And, you, and, and, you know, they don't have free speech. And, you know, they start swearing in class. You say, don't do that. Right. That's fine. Because you are. That's the period of socialization. Once you're an adult, you should be able to do whatever the hell you please. Say whatever you want, you know, within the law. Um, do whatever you do, whatever you please. But but this inf this this need to infantilize adults. I don't want someone canceling a comedy show because they fear it might be bad for me. How dare they? Hmm. I, I, I'll make the decision what's good and what's bad for me. I'll make the decision what I see. But but at the same time, earlier in the conversation, you said if you saw somebody screaming racial epithets on the uh, at the on the street, you you would be morally obligated to go and stop them or calm them down. Yeah, but if if the, if the street is different than than the uh, than the theater, or the, the yeah, stage. there's a difference. There's a difference between a theatrical performance to an audience who have paid to buy tickets and uh, racist harassment. Yeah. Okay. There's a difference. Well, and it's, isn't it's not, it just busking? Isn't it just comedian? Like maybe he's just a comedian busking on the street. That's part of his act. He just gets oh, on the street. well, maybe it's just avant-garde uh, performance art yeah. on the street. Yeah, yeah maybe. maybe. Well, in which case he can get on with it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I, that's not a form of performance art that I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, well, I mean, that said, I've been shouted at. I've had. Yeah. I've walked past uh, Christian fundamentalists preachers screaming about people like me are going to burn in hell and everything like that. So I have, and I think let them get on with it. <laughs> I just, cause I've got the option to walk away. Right. So yeah. I think if they were chasing me screaming in my face and they wouldn't let me go, well then it crosses the line into harassment and that's okay. Then it's a different thing. I mean, the, yeah. I think these are quite clear boundaries <laughs> well, uh, and I don't think they're that difficult to discern. Well, one, one, I, I know it's not clear cut, but uh, it, it does seem like the pride movement is chasing us down the street. I know that like half of the half of the, the, the crosswalks in, in your country are now uh, the, the neo uh, pride flag. Right. You know, with the with the. So it's called the progress on. pride flag. Yeah. And it's, it's so, yeah, you know, you used to have the six stripe rainbow flag and now you've got the chevrons, the, the trans colors and the black and brown stripes yeah. to be racially inclusive. And the whole thing looks like a mess. It looks like a Jackson Pollock. And it's uh, it's ugly and it's it's weird. And yeah, it's not half of the road crossings, by the way, that, <laughs> just so you know, it's a few. <laughs> OK, a few councils, a few overzealous councillors have spent a lot of money painting these ugly flags onto the zebra crossings, causing uh, even though disability awareness groups have said this is really bad for people with autism and with uh, certain issues oh no yeah <laughs> they should come and, with the epilepsy guide. warnings <laughs> yeah no I'm not, I'm not even joking it's really bad for that and and guide dogs they can't they don't understand what's going on because right? they've been trained to cross at zebra crossings anyway so um it's just a big expensive waste of time uh, and it's also signaling dogs. sorry those transphobic dogs and horses yes yeah, transphobic dogs yeah. have you seen have you seen that clip of the horses trying to cross it and they yeah. don't know what they're doing because they i think there's something like they see the red as a hole in the ground they're terrified of this yeah well there we go but um the the whole pride thing is like chasing people down the street i mean we have an entire month and even, i know what you mean i think in your country you guys keep on having pride weekends like every oh, it's weekend endless. Another, i know what you like mean chasing us down the street 
What's yeah, because you there? can't go during Pride Month. You try and go to a shop in London or a restaurant or anything and without having this rainbow flag dangled in your face. <laughs> You're right. It's not, look, it's not harassment, is it? It's not. I, I, I ultimately can choose not to go to those shops and whatever, right? But it just feels relentless and exhausting. I know exactly what you mean. It feels like, it feels like they're chasing you down the street with this stuff. Um, and But in a sense they are because it's in all the schools and because it's in all the... Uh, the public institutions, the libraries, everywhere you go. And so and so I do want it to be taken, toned down, pulled out. I think we should reject. I think I think I, I mean, I totally reject it now. I've, 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 I mistrust that flag now. I think it's a religious symbol and I don't want anything to do with it. And if I see a pub flying it, I probably won't go into it because I, I, I'll, I'll feel like I, I, it's not it, it's, it's also it's co-opted, you know, the rainbow flag, the gay flag, the pride flag with its six stripes, it was a simple design. It was effective. It connotes, it connotes unity and joy and, and everyone's welcome, right? And then they had to add, add black stripes and brown stripes because they didn't think it was sufficiently racially inclusive, as though the rainbow flag was a literal representation of the skin colours that are acceptable in the gay community. It's utterly ridiculous. That you guys are into your glitter. I'll, I'll tell you that much, though. So. Yeah, well, I mean, nothing wrong with a bit of glitter. You know, yeah. nothing wrong with any of that. I just, I just, it used to mean something when I was a kid and I saw that rainbow flag on a pub, I knew that was, and I, you know, I should, I'm using the woke language here, but I knew it was safe. I could sit in that pub with my boyfriend and hold his hand. And it was, you, I wasn't going to get looks. I wasn't going to get people moving away or from us, which happened in one restaurant, um, literally asking for a different table. Cause they couldn't be nearer. You know, this is going back a long time. Yeah. Um, but now it doesn't mean that now. Now they've, now they've taken over with this new flag and it, and it's, you know, it's very sad. You brought up different people that get canceled and not get canceled, like J.K. Rowling and, and Jillian. Was it Jillian? Uh, Jillian Philip. Philip, yeah. How did you get through that? How did you not get canceled? Or did you lean into it? What was your trick? Uh I, I didn't have a boss. <laughs> I didn't, it was nothing to fire me from. I mean... I, how could I be cancelled? I, 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 you know, because I was a school teacher. I mean, if I if I'd stu- stuck at school teaching, I could definitely get. I would I would be in a lot of trouble now as a school teacher because I would be objecting to all this stuff. When they when they would make us do the unconscious bias training or the uh, white privilege sessions, I would be very mouthy and I'd be I'd make my objections very very clear. Certainly wouldn't be promoted. Uh, I'd, I'd I'd be one of those that, you know, would be a grunt in the department. You know, I'd, I'd never get anywhere. Um, but then I left and I became a stand-up comedian and I went into my own writing and for years I didn't have a boss. So who's going to fire me? And now I work for GB news. And the whole point of GB news is to broaden the conversation. Mm -hmm. They're not going to cancel me. Well, you're a headliner. Right. Well, I'm on the show headliners. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, but but you were one of the original people when it started up, right? Yeah. 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 So, so they're not going to, they're not going to, you know, so I've never, I, I, I haven't been in that position where I where I where I could be cancelled. I mean, I suppose it could conceivably happen. In it some happens other every way. day, I guess, in minor ways. People come after yeah. you. People are. Oh, that, but that's not cancellation. Again, I you know, yeah. the people shouting abuse at me online and doing all that. That's not. I'm not being cancelled because I don't have to listen to that. I just I just block them and move on. It's yeah. you know they're free to do it. They're free to scream in 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 their little vacuum. I hope what? they enjoy it. I hope they get a lot out of it. 
You brought up like the white privilege seminars and unconscious biases that are being uh, taught in the education system. Isn't that weird? Because uh, aren't the white people indigenous to your land? So aren't the indigenous <laughs> ways of knowing like uh, supposed to be important and fostered? But but you guys have now you know full well you know full well that whiteness is the original sin. So you can't pull this indigenous okay. stuff. No, you but know how this works. You guys are indigenous to your land. Do you, do you feel a tie to that? Do you feel a tie to to Britain and or are you more cosmopolitan? What, to my, my skin color? No, 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 to your to your land, to your to your home. I guess you're not your skin color, but your ethnicity. Maybe are are you no. proud of being uh, British? Do you think that it needs it should be uh, preserved? Do you think Britishness should be preserved? And I'm I'm probably the wrong person to ask about that. I've never felt a, a, a nationalism a, a tie to anywhere. I think where you're born is arbitrary, and I okay. I I do think uh, na- the nation state is really important for democracy, uh, for for empowering working class people, for having so, you know for having accountability and all of those things is very important. You know, this is why I, I voted to get out of the EU because I don't want unelected bureaucrats from abroad making decisions that affect us when we can't vote them out of office. I think that's terrible. Um, so on that sense, but I don't have that patriotism that some people have. I understand it. And I've, I, 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 I've, you know, I've spoken to people who do feel that way and I think that's fine. Um, and I think it can be a very powerful and positive thing. Um, I just don't, it's not innate with me. I, you know, I don't, I don't feel that. English literature though would be. Well, that's a love of, that's a love of literature. That's a different thing. English or specifically British literature or just literature? Uh, That's my mother tongue though. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I, I might, I might develop a similar love for French literature if I could read the stuff, <laughs> you know? Okay. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Do you feel a, an innate pride in, in your Americanism? I, I think that, uh, I think there's something, uh, beneficial and positive about having, uh, ties to locality and that the cosmopolitan uh, hyper liberal way of thought where we're just thinking in universalist terms doesn't really work to actually tie community together and no exactly that's similar to what i was saying about the need for the nation state Yeah. yeah you know and and for communal ties absolutely all of that stuff is important but that doesn't mean that you're not necessarily welcoming of people from other communities that doesn't no no i i I, I, I can shift, I can tone switch and stuff like that. But at the same time with uh, migrants uh, coming in um, or being let in and huge waves, that has negative implications well, and why... impacts on. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, wage depression, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. of course. No, I understand that. There are arguments there. Um, but of course, all of those arguments are reduced to, uh, you know, racist. People just say, well, anyone who has any kind of qualms about immigration must be a racist. And of course, mm-hmm. that's. Hugely unhelpful, isn't it? Can Can I ask you something? Uh, you, you pricked me at the oh, end. Well, I've upset in, you. you I, I wasn't upset, but I'm like, what is he talking about? Um, on On page 298, maybe. Oh, maybe, okay, I'm gonna. It, it's in your, just consult this. 298. If, what are you going to say? It's the epilogue. You said critical social justice is every bit as mirthless as the Christianity it has usurped. Yeah. So you, you think Christianity is mirthless? What's Jesus's best joke? Let's hear it. Oh, he's hilarious. Have you read Luke? He is hilarious. Come on, he's a sarcastic his... master. Just the way that he breaks people's uh, highfalutin <laughs> manners down, the way that he goes after the Pharisees and the hypocrites. He's so subtle. He's such a... Uh, he's, he's an excellent... <laughs> I, no, look, I don't think he's funny at all, but I don't <laughs> think he's meant to be, and I don't want him to be. 
Okay. I don't want the savior to be funny, right? But look, it it is pretty mirthless. You've got to remember as well that I went to a convent school. I was, uh, you know, I was at church every week, uh, and the, the the nuns were pretty mirthless. The okay. the, the uh, there's an austerity about. It. I've learned to appreciate. It. Like now, when I go to mass now, I I go for the austerity. I like I like that. Huh. You know, I, I, I don't want the I don't like it when there's the homily and the priest starts cracking jokes. I'm like, no, 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 no. OK, don't do that. You know, right. um, I'm not saying that Christians are without mirth. I think that's how you've interpreted it. That's not what I'm saying. You, you said it, uh, critical social justice is every bit as mirthless as the Christianity I, it's replaced. I, I think there's a lot of joy in Christianity just from my own point of view. Uh, yes, I think there is as well. I don't think that's what I was saying. I was talking okay. specifically about there are no jokes in the Bible. The Bible's not funny. There's some funny stuff in there. You, sh- you should read Genesis. When, there when is, that- but it's inverted. <laughs> like, you know, the uh, Elisha and the bears is a really funny story, but I don't think we're meant to find it funny. Elisha you know? and the bears? Is that when uh, uh, Elijah, yeah, he, 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 uh, he gets made fun of by a bunch of kids for being bald, yes. and then he has a mother bear and tear him. And then God puts, God gets his bear to tear these 40 children to pieces. <laughs> it's such an overreaction. But the thing is, you know, because all they've done is call him bold, you know, and that's mean. But you don't tear them to pieces with a bear. Uh, you know, that's not proportionate response. So that is that is funny. Okay. But it's not meant to be funny. Let's face it. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I think I just, you're reading too much into that. I think I, I didn't say it was without joy. Hmm. I specifically did. If I'd have said joyless, I think I, you would be onto something. Okay. I would, I would, I would retract that. Right. But I didn't say joyless because I don't right. believe it is joyless. Yeah. You also, you also write a part of the appeal of critical social justice is that it reframes differences of opinion as moral questions. And I, I, I really thought about that and the way that we always have to use morality uh, to, to frame differences of opinion. Uh, something's bad or something's good, right? And maybe not morality. Uh, like you said earlier, uh, some, some systems are better than others. And you're going you're gonna to say that some moralities are better than others. So No, I think... Okay, what I mean by that is, for instance, if you and I have a different perspective on what would be the best way out of the cost of living crisis, you know, what, what, what what, would it be? Would it be tax cuts? Whatever. We know we we would have different perspectives at the moment. There's a Tory leadership contest going on between two people, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, who have different views on the best way to tackle the rising inflation and the cost of living crisis. Why? When I say that. When you reframe a difference of opinion like that and say, Liz Truss, her, her approach is good and Rishi Sunak's approach is evil. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's not. Neither is, is good or evil. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, in fact, both of them are trying to get us out of a problem. Yeah. So I'm talking about the tendency to reduce uh, dif- differences of opinion to, question, to, to the binary of good versus evil, mm-hmm. to make it a moral question rather than... A discussion and uh it's it's a very disnified view of the world you know it's heroes and villains goodies and baddies and i don't think that's true does that make sense yeah it, you also follow it up uh by uh, making a very insightful comment how that's how uh, everybody agrees really quickly in this movement and the critical social yeah. justice movement because it's framed because as good you, exactly so what what they do is they say we're on the side of the angels so you can choose to disagree with us, but then you're a fascist and you're an evil person. So who's going to agree with that? You know, that's that's 
that's how it's been so, so successful that and the kind of intimidating tactics you know yeah. yeah yeah so this book is out on september 13th is it or september 14th? i think so i think it's it's september the 8th in the uk september 13th in america i believe okay. are you are you guys still in lockdown or do you get to like roam freely and do book tours yeah totally free we're yeah. totally free to go wherever we go we don't have to wear masks um we are um no i'm going to be doing a, a live event on the 8th in london which is going to be a uh, um a, a discussion with uh freddie sayers from unheard magazine and we're going to talk about the book and that will be quite fun um i might do another couple of events later on about the book and talk about it with people and um and meet people i'd like to have the discussions uh i think that's a you know it's always good to, i mean look i've put all these ideas out there and it'd be nice if people come back and and disagree i might get lots of people shouting at me because i said christianity was mirthless maybe that's going to be the that'll be the thing and it's fine if you disagree with me on that that's just a personal opinion yeah you know? i just i thought that was sad because there's just so much mirth there i don't know um I, I, do I yeah i mean well okay. i think there's a different joy and mirth yeah and i just as i'm as i'm growing and changing i just i find a, a pull to mass there's, there's something beautiful in there and 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 joyful in there and yeah I, I guess i don't want a bunch of pastor jokes i grew up in uh, protestantism where you have to put up with pastor jokes which is are, are like yeah. lame dad jokes you know there's like dad jokes i hate, like, it. They're, they're even I hate it yeah so yeah. i understand that and then i also understand your upbringing with the nuns i never got the ruler slapping and maybe i've been much better vocabulary if 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 i had been slapped as well, much yeah as it would have been good for you wrapped across i got the, the i got the slipper from a nun the slipper like yeah, she took she off her like is that yeah. like a english undergarment and she like whipped you it's with a, it it's a foot it's footwear oh okay do you not know what a slipper is <laughs> i just want to it's sure. a, yeah it's a shoe it's a soft shoe but it didn't feel that soft to me and she thrashed me with it for a long time or it what, felt like a long what did you do i'd broken a window <laughs> with what another student oh wait what yeah. oh okay yeah i punched it were you in a particularly mirthless mood at that point i was in a mirthless mood i was in i i i was four years old and i had stayed behind after class to help tidy up the board games and these kids outside were teasing me through the window so i hit the window i don't know what i thought i was going to do i think i was just knocking at it to sort of get them to go away huh. and it broke and i cut my hand uh and uh I went crying to the teacher saying, I've cut my hand. And I, I, I know what it was. I said to the teacher, I'd fallen over in the playground because I didn't want to admit that I'd broken the window. And that's why I got the injury. Yeah. Uh, and I was, uh, I was punished for that. Not immediately, but I think it was about a week later that I got called to Sister Hilda's office, which was always a terrifying thing because she was a very, well, I mean, I was only small, but she was a, a big, broad-shouldered nun uh, who ran the school. And she uh, hit me with a slipper. Never forgiven her for that. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, at least I'm sure she, she let you heal. Uh, at least you weren't profusely bleeding when she whipped. No, there, was, there is that. There is okay. that. But I don't think it was breaking the window that I think it was. Look, I think it was the lying. But maybe, you know, if I go back now, maybe she was in the right. Maybe I needed that. I don't know. I never broke a window again. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's something to that. Did you never have that kind of punishment at school? Uh, no, I, I, I got some corporal punishment from my father back in the day. Yeah. We, yeah. We yeah. Character building, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. My my spine is much more rigid now. Um, for, yeah, yeah. For being okay. subjected to that. So, uh, so 
art, rationality, one last question or one last topic. What, what's the role of religion in, in uh, shoring up uh, society against the encroachment of uh, the new Puritans or this other religion? Is there a counter-revolutionary aspect that's still beneficial for society and religion? That Are you, are you asking about religion or art here? No, religion. I think we've spoken about art, we've spoken about humor, we've spoken about rationality, but what no, about it, religion? You're asking if there's a role in re- that a religion has to play. I mean, w- would you admit on camera that there's something positive to religion to, to shore yeah. us <laughs> yeah. up against this? I don't know why you think that's such a gotcha. No, <laughs> it's not a gotcha. I just, some people don't like talking about that. Or, uh, oh, there's all sorts of that. positive things for yeah. religion. You know, all sorts of, I mean, uh, you know, deeply devout religious people tend to be quite nice <laughs> you know because yeah. <laughs> you know, they will be mirthless they, they are nice though they, 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 yeah they're not they're not very mirth, mirthful but they are <laughs> but they are nice um yeah i mean there's all sorts of positive i don't think though religion is necessarily the way to counter the woke movement simply because the woke movement has taken the form of a kind of secular religion mm-hmm. i don't think that's necessarily i, I don't think you need any particular faith I think people of all faiths and none have a, have a vested interest in resisting this stuff. Don't you think? I mean, it's, uh, it's, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think, but I, I have no, did you, was your concern in the book that I was, that it, it felt like by comparing the social justice movement to a religion, I was in some way denigrating religion. I did take issue with uh, it at the beginning, but then you clarified that uh, by new Puritanism, you were speaking about particular set of behaviors you weren't calling yeah, all yeah. puritans this and and uh fundamentally I, I think i've been quite i think i've been quite clear about that in the book yeah, like yeah. I, i've had a lot of tweets of people offended because they think i'm insulting the puritans and it's actually the opposite when you read what i'm actually saying about that yeah 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 so just, it's uh, i'm just curious because it seems like social justice uh, critical social justice wokeness is taking the place of religion because there was no religion there oh i see what you mean sorry i didn't react reinvigorated to a religious framework because it's yeah no i totally get what you mean i I hadn't picked up what you meant there um yes i understand um it's an interesting question uh I, i think there is something to that i mean i think it is it is the case, isn't it, that that uh, it, it has... Uh, th- this is something I, I, I feel completely unqualified to talk about, though, the extent to which has this movement arisen because of the decline of religion, you know? I feel like that's that's beyond my, my expertise. I, I don't know, but I'm very interested to know mm-hmm. whether there is a correlation there. Uh, it might be related to that deeper need for meaning that we all have, and in a world which has rejected God, maybe this new this ideology gives us meaning it certainly seems to give uh, its adherents a sense of meaning and purpose doesn't it mm-hmm. you know they spend all their time I mean, they obsess they're monomaniacs they 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 obsess with this stuff and they 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 are they are engaged in rooting out sin and and rooting out heresy I mean, it must have the same uh exhilaration that an inquisitor would have got you know i imagine i imagine mm-hmm. it's that, that same kind of feeling you know when you you know, it satisfies that awful human potential for cruelty and excuses it and and makes turns it into a virtue. So I imagine that is quite satisfying. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting question. I'm basically answering your question by saying I don't know the answer to that hmm. question, but I'm interested to know the answer to that hmm. question. Hmm. 
Have you have you found uh, maybe this? I just feel like this is too personal. Maybe this is a British American thing, but I, I, I feel okay. like have you have you found uh, in as you as you grow up and uh, kind of go through different processes of maturation? Have you found a place for religion, a place for humor, a place for uh, all these other cultural things, and uh, to to fill out your life? You say you go to mass. I'm wondering, does that kind of very rarely, okay. very rarely? I'm a lapsed Catholic. Lapsed. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just keep on lapsing. Is that like a morning? Uh, every, every yeah, morning you keep keep lapsing. on lapsing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's no, I mean no, no. I very rarely. I, I, but I, but I, when I have been, I have enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Uh, you know, I suppose you're asking about the search for meaning, the search for purpose. Uh, yeah. I uh, liberalism is a good framework for interacting with people we disagree with, but it doesn't. It doesn't inherently have a, a meaning or a hierarchy of belief. No, we have to discover no, that exactly. for ourselves. I mean, I get that from from reading, from art, mm. from uh, my relationships with those close to me, from my work. I, f- I feel like you know, I, I I am in a very lucky position. I do feel that I have a sense of purpose, you know, and uh, and. Uh, I I have a relatively uh, enjoyable life, <laughs> so I mean I think, and so I'm already, I already have an advantage that a lot a lot of people don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very grateful for that. Um, I don't go out of my way and search for meaning or trying to find myself or anything like <laughs> like that. Are you done with um, that? Or you never you were never inclined to do that. I just I am who I am. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know how um you you did this to me last time you were trying to sort of psychoanalyze me and you put put me on the spot it's your thing isn't it i just i want the inside andrew doyle you know i don't think you're gonna get just a glimpse i think you accused me last time of being too uh, that i was concealing or that i don't share much something like that did i yeah you you were basically you were basically saying i don't i have a gut i have a guard and i don't let it down not that you're being evasive right now yeah, but the thing is, we've never actually met in person. No, we haven't. We've only ever met over podcasts. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that has been a, a barrier to in, the, the intimacy that you crave. <laughs> I, I think. That's, that's is good. that right? Yeah, I don't know. But maybe you're I good at that's turning the psychoanalyst uh, turn. Here. <laughs> uh, no, no you, I'm not, I'm, you're I'm on not, the couch now. I'm just saying, you know, you should maybe reflect on that. I will. I will. I'll what, meditate. What, what, what is this need Deeply. to sort of probe into people's psyche? What, what, where does that come from? Hmm. Do you think curiosity? Hmm, that doesn't cut it, does it? Storytelling. This is a literary endeavor for me. Podcasting is uh, the the human experience. That's that's the kernel. That's the nut. Like all these opinions. Is, is that right? So is this where you get your purpose from? Your sense of meanings from from asking invasive questions. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, I know, but that might be, that might be your thing no i don't know you put it that yeah. way it, it is kind of overstepping a lot of people actually come to me to bear their soul but but other people they, don't yeah yeah no yeah, yeah. but you know I, I think i've been pretty honest no i, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't lied to you <laughs> no no i, I knew that i knew there was a line in the sand and i i, I cross it so i'll, 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 I'll retreat i'll no, retreat yeah no you're nowhere near it actually um i just, but, I just wanted to know andrew doyle's search for meaning that's the, that was just my <laughs> i don't know i don't think you you're anywhere near any kind of line um i uh but i don't i, I don't think 
I don't know what I I could reveal to you that would make that would satisfy your curiosity. No, I no, no. Know. I was just, I was specifically asking about uh, the role that God has, uh, or or religious uh, thinking has, and and uh, not just in your life, but but encountering um, the uh, this new Puritanism, as you call it, this mm. critical social justice. And well, I mean, I think I think uh, my ethical framework has come from my religious background, yeah. probably, um, and I think. Uh, there's a lot to uh, there's a lot to be gained from the Christian ethos, uh, loving your neighbour as you love yourself. I think there's there's all sorts of you know. I think it's a wonderful way to live. Mm. Um, it feels innate to me, but maybe it's something that came from when I was socialised mm. by nuns. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so mm. maybe with slippers are so, you religious benjamin i didn't know you were uh, i would like to be but i, I keep on lapsing uh, as you put it so, okay yeah yeah so yeah. Mo- most catholics are lapsed though you're not catholic are you you're pro- no no yeah i grew up protestant i'm just yeah. en- enamored by that level of discourse i just think i've done the race thing and, and it, it's boring me gender is much more interesting to me because there's so many facets to it and there's a lot of craziness that ties it to the current event but underneath it yeah, it's yeah. like some sort of deeper understanding about what ties culture well, together get, and religion did that do you ever get like bored it? of the culture war stuff and, and talking about it? because i mean inevitably a lot of your guests will want to talk about this stuff I'm able to, by centering the personal, uh, to to kind of like let the political not be constantly invading every aspect of it. But watching how the political has corrupted the personal is kind of a theme in in my... But it's being forced onto us. It's a bit like what you were saying about the rainbow flags. It's like the fact that I can't watch a Netflix series (laughs) now without someone preaching at me about some, some of this stuff. It is kind of inescapable, which is also why I have to write about it because I want because I want it to go away. Purge, purge, purge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. just get away. You know, I don't. I, I'm hoping that I don't ever have to write another book about this stuff. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah, that would uh, be great. Okay, so what about artistically? Um, mm. You do uh, musicals and stuff. Do you, do, are you pining to get back to that? Or are you pretty satisfied uh, in, in uh, your output right now? Yeah, I mean, I, obviously the pandemic put everything on hold. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I, I, last time I spoke to you, I was working on two musicals. One of them was on in Belfast uh, last month. Um, finally got there, but that was two years after it was meant to be on. The other musical, which I've been developing for many years, I've told you about, I'm pretty sure, is the musical about the... Um, uh, plastic surgery in World War Two, um, and there was a uh, pioneering plastic surgeon called Archibald McIndoe, who basically these RAF pilots would come back with their entire faces burnt away, um, just horrible injuries, and because of the development of plasma technology, they were surviving that. Whereas, of course, before they weren't surviving. Suddenly, you had all these people with permanent facial disfigurements living, um, and so he pioneered this. You know, their whole identities erased. And he, he pioneered this new technology to recreate their faces. And they were called the Guinea Pig Club. Everyone who went through his surgery was, 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 became a member of the Guinea Pig Club because it was experimental. And um, it was this hospital in East Grinstead where I used to live. And um, I was really fascinated by this story. And uh, the musician who I collaborate with had heard one of the guinea pigs. I mean, I think there's not many of them still surviving because I think the youngest, last time I checked, the youngest was sort of 92 years old. They used to meet annually every year for up until about eight years ago. Um, and um, he was talking about how Archibald McIndoe used to play the piano on the ward and they used to sing. I mean, part of his whole philosophy was not just physical healing, 
it was psychological healing. And this was really radical at the time. He would get people to go out to the local pubs. These people with, with huge disfigurements midway through the treatment with pedagogue graphs coming off their face and all sorts of d- stuff. And they would interact with the local community, go to the pub. And the town East Grinstead became known as the town that doesn't stare because these people could be part of it again and part of a community again. And so, and that's, and he, he allowed them to have beer on the ward. He only hired pretty attractive nurses. He only, he, he allowed them to, um, to, uh, to wear their own clothes. They didn't have military, they didn't observe military rank, all these incredibly unorthodox things hmm. that went on, on just on this ward. Um, and it enabled them to uh, to to become human again, you know, to 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 regain their humanity. It's a, it is an incredible story, and we we've written a full uh, we've written the musical. It's done, uh, and we're hoping now that now the pandemic's over, we can take it to the next stage. Mm. I hope. Mm. Mm. There's a, there's a I don't know, not to interpret it according to uh, present day, but it does seem like. Uh, that act of tolerance or that uh, ability to tolerate the ugly or the disfigured and uh, to see the human inside is is really important um, practice um, that is kind of lost right now or uh, even even anti-woke we're always like yelling at the uh, you know the purple-haired teachers who are doing I, crazy things which is right but it, it's like we're, we're staring yeah, that's true at the That's, freaks right anyway but we're more concerned about their behavior aren't they let's be honest yeah. Yeah. you know i mean i yeah i we could all be friends with people with bright purple hair it wouldn't bother any of us really mm-hmm. it, it's it's just that the it's just that, that when you see those libs of tiktok videos there's a certain look that seems to accompany this very hectoring entitled and narcissistic behavior isn't there and um, yeah. i don't think it's about people you know denigrating yeah. someone because of their physical appearance no, I don't think that's what it really is. No, but insofar as they uh, are broken people trying to you know, fix the world or whatever, there is a way of looking at them. There's a way of laughing at them. There's a way of speaking at them. But there's just a way of, of, of looking at them. Like I remember uh, when I would do, uh, I worked in preschool for a while and a kid would get hurt, like scrape their knee or something like that. And they'd be so yeah. wrapped up in feeling their pain that I could sympathize with their pain, but that would amplify their pain. But if I just recognized them in pain, then they would recognize their pain as something they were experiencing rather than something they were possessed by. And there was just a way that I could pay attention to them um, to shepherd them through that. And I think that that uh, could possibly be another way of uh, waking people, waking the woke out of their uh, sleepwalking. So in other words, you're, you're, well, you're suggesting maybe we shouldn't take such a, uh, a, uh, an aggressive stance towards them. I I think that there could be also a tool of being the adult in the room. uh, Yeah. yeah. That's what I support as well. A pastor uh, as well. Yeah. yeah, uh, I mean, I'm always civil to the, I I invite them on my show all the time. You're good at that. Yeah. They just never do. <laughs> never want to. Of all the people, by the way, I mean, like I, you know, my interviewing style. I'm not combative at all, even if I don't agree. I can't see you being yeah. combative. Have you ever had the? Have you ever like actually had to be combative? Like, no, this isn't going to fly. Because oh, I, I can, ch- I will challenge and disagree. Yeah. yeah. But you can do that without being rude. Yeah. You do it to me all the time. <laughs> you know. Yeah. You haven't done the thing of saying, "Ah." Oh, you caught. You said that Christians were mirthless. How dare you? Well, you oh, talk. You didn't do that. No, no. So yeah, you no, almost no. did. 
No, you were no. tempted to. It, it just, maybe, yeah. maybe that's maybe. By the way, maybe that sentence is wrong. Maybe I should re- rewrite that for the paperback. I don't know. I, I wanted to bring it up because it was, it was just interesting. Um, because I've been. Yeah, but I've some, been... sometimes as well though, when you write a book, you are just you are just putting down your feelings about something yeah. and putting it out there, and it doesn't mean it's definitive. You know, it doesn't mean that. Uh, you know, I think. Because obviously, when you're writing a book of this kind, you are you are presenting an argument, aren't you? So it will be framed and, and expressed in, in in tones that sound as though you are dead certain because you're presenting an argument. But I'm always very aware that I'm going to be wrong about a lot of stuff. And I'm and, and more than happy to have people come back at me and say, you're wrong about this and this is why. And I'll probably be persuaded on some of those occasions. I think that's fine. I, I think that's OK. I'm not I'm not frightened of that. No, it, it actually, we need more of that. We need more frank speaking and then, uh, you know, allow uh, the, the author to change. We, we have a very narrow idea about what an artist or an author is. Like, this is something they said and it stains their whole character when it's just actually a human being being a human being at a particular point in time and, and space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Any other questions, Benjamin? No, no, no. Andrew Doyle, thank you so much. It's been, uh, I looked it up December 11th, 2020. So it was after the Great Awakening, uh, the last time we saw Oh, this, okay. Uh, almost two years, but... Uh, yes, but I think it was a Christmas. We recorded yeah, it at Christmas. So I think we were just being quite frivolous. Yeah. And we, it wasn't really a serious Full of mirth, podcast. like those Christians. They, they have a whole month of mirth. Yeah, but I was, no, because there was a Christmas tree behind me and it was about... So that's a pagan thing, isn't it? Oh, okay. <laughs> a lot of mirth in paganism. <laughs> yeah. And froth on their, on their beer. Yeah. I think sure. maybe it's because I associate mirth with sex. And I think the, mm. the Catholic attitude to sex has always been quite mirthless. Behind lock and key, yeah. Because it's, because it's about procreation. In fact, the catechism of the Catholic Church says explicitly that sex without procreation is abominable. Uh, huh? Without the potential for procreation is abominable. Oh, okay. Which rules out most of my favorite things. <laughs> I don't mean that. <laughs> All right, we'll wrap it up there. Andrew Doyle, thank you so much. Thanks a lot.